0: John 15, as you know, is one of the deepest, richest chapters, really, in all of Scripture. It begins in verse 1, the familiar words, I am the true vine, a metaphor that really entire volumes have been written about alone, as is true of the last verses of the chapter, verse 26, when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father. And so it goes everywhere in between. It's just a wonderful, powerful chapter that is brimming over with very profound truths for God's people. And yet, that's precisely why some of the greatest lessons in the text are missed. They're passed over completely. They're overlooked by believers, including all of the ramifications of today's text. Notice with me verse 15. Jesus said, henceforth, from now on, I call you not servants, because for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Now, folks, note that. Our Lord doesn't merely say, henceforth, I call you not servants, I call you friends. That would be glory enough. What Jesus does here is explain why they have moved from just being servants and now including friendship. And why this friendship? is so different, so greater than any other we've ever experienced. You'll note again, as Brother Andy read a moment ago, that already he talked about friends in verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And then, of course, showing that this friendship is asymmetrical, he says what in verse 14? Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Now, wait a minute. You're my friends if you do... Whatsoever I command you. Does this sound like any kind of friendship you're associated with? Brother Terry, you're my friend. If you do whatever I tell you. And my car needs to be washed after church today. (laughs) Can you imagine two little kids in the playground? Hey, can we be friends? Oh, you're my friend if you obey all my commands. Who would say that? What little child says that? Eight-year-old Napoleon Bonaparte, I guess. This is not the kind of friendship that we understand, and there's a reason for that. This friendship our Lord is addressing here is transcendent. It is perfect. It is glorious. It is transformative. And if you are a child of the living God today, it is yours to embrace if you understand it. And as a reminder of how transcendent this friendship is, our Lord Jesus tells us why and how they changed in status. From not only being a servant, but also being a friend. Understand that the grammatical structure of verse 15 includes the truth that we're still servants of Jesus. His title is Lord, after all. So what he says is, I'm no longer calling you servants alone. After all, verse 20, a few verses later, he says, Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So yes, we're still his servants. And you know, a servant pleases his master. A servant listens to his master. A servant respects. He may even love his master. And the disciples were all of those and more. But there is one thing. That is prominent about a servant master relationship that's not included in all the things that I just mentioned. And that is this a servant doesn't know all things that his Lord doeth, he may set the table. For a very important and exclusive meeting between his master and, and having some nobles or merchants. But he won't be aware of all the negotiations or all of the plans and the conversation. At some point, he's even likely to be sent out of the room. Into another place, closing the doors behind him so he doesn't overhear what's being said. A servant isn't privy to all of the business and all the planning that's going on in his master's heart. And that's accepted. But, now the Lord Jesus says to all of his disciples and to all of us in this room, and if you're watching where you are, he says, I'm calling you friends. I'm calling you friends and all things that I have heard of my Father, I'm going to reveal to you. Now folks, think about that. And you know what? Think about it in particular in light of current national and world events. You know, there's a war in Europe, but nobody's paying attention because there's also a war in the Middle East. Flags are flying at half-staff in America right now, and nobody knows why, because they're too distracted by flags being burned on college campuses. Inflation and debt and violence in all of our cities out of control. China, serious saber-rattling. And you know, in the midst of all of this and more, people in the world are afraid. They're perplexed, disoriented, cynical. I heard a TV commentator last night. He said, we are all just groping in the darkness. And out loud, I said to the TV, no, we're not. I mean, not all of us. Because some people in the world belong to Christ. And the friends and the family of Jesus are not in the dark. Let's pray. Father, please help us this morning to understand the power and the ramifications of this amazing revelation that Jesus gave to us. Thank you that we are servants of the Most High God. Thank you that Jesus is our Lord and Master. Thank you also that we are friends And children of the most high God, bless, bless our hearts to your word in Jesus name. Amen. One of the things that is vital to understand about Jesus' promise here in verse 15. And this included privilege that were granted as his followers. One of the things that really needs to be completely understood and appreciated. Is that Jesus did not say what he says in verse 15. So that his disciples could be prideful or amused or smug. Not at all. Folks, he said these things so that we'd be blessed and energized and informed and courageous and humbled under his mighty hand. You may have noticed the word all in verse 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I've made known unto you. Now, wait a minute. All things? You know, I can think of some things I don't know. What does he mean when he says, I have made known to you all things? I mean, later in this book, he's going to say, I have many more things yet to tell you. And he will through the Gospels and the, and the epistles and the book of Revelation. That's what he meant. But I don't know all things. What he means, beloved, as Peter would later write, all things. You know all things that pertain unto life and godliness. In other words, everything that you need to know, everything we ought to know, Everything we have to know, everything we're able to know, everything we should want to know. All of this, families of business, and the Father's will, the Lord Jesus has revealed to his friends. In fact, the Apostle John repeats what he hears here when he first heard, heard, hears Jesus say these words, he repeats them many, many decades later in, in 1 John 2.20 when he says, ye have an unction from the Holy One and ye know all things. And furthermore, this inside knowledge isn't based upon merit. It's not based upon our great performance. It's based upon verse 9. Look at it. As the Father hath loved me, So have I loved you. Continue, you, my love. Wow. How much do you suppose the Father loved the Son? As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. And then a few breaths later, He says, You're my friends, and I will tell you all things. You think about a friend group. This is a friend group. The question is what do we know? What is he talking about that we know that others do not know? What has Jesus revealed that only his friends are blessed to truly know and understand? Well, here's a few. Number one, as children of God and as friends of the Lord Jesus Christ, we know what God has done. We know what God has done. Look at verse 25. But this cometh to pass that the word... The word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Now, wait a minute. You know, the word that he's speaking of here, Jesus is quoting, is Psalm 35. That word was written centuries, centuries before all of this by King David. And yet, the Lord Jesus Christ, as He does scores and scores of times in His ministry, the Lord Jesus referenced these ancient texts as though He Himself wrote them right then and there. Why? How do you explain the Lord's constant, almost casual reference to His literally fulfilling prophecy in that very moment? It's as if I held up my Bible and I were to say to you, holding up this Bible right now, cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that was written by John the Baptist, he held up a Bible in Jupiter, Florida. Who talks like that? Who is able to speak like that? I can tell you, only the ancient of days. Only the one who was there, also in the past. So you know what? If you want to know what secret knowledge the friends of Jesus And the friends of God have about what God has already done. Look no further than creation itself. Now I want you to hear this very carefully. This is just one of hundreds of examples. I'm talking about the beginning of the beginning. We've been studying on a Wednesday nights. You see, because of Jesus, because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his revelation, we know exactly where we've come from. We know it. We know our origins. We also know, therefore, the origin of the universe. Furthermore, we know why the origins are as they are or were. But, Pastor, that's no secret. Everybody knows that. All they would have to do is read the book of Genesis or have come to church on Wednesday nights. Actually, beloved, everybody doesn't know it. Of course they don't. Even if they read the book of Genesis a thousand times, it doesn't mean that they know it. Because if you don't believe it, You don't know it. I'll put it this way. I know when and I know how our solar system came into being. Einstein never did. Bill Nye doesn't have a clue. Michael Degrassi, Noel Tyson, whatever his name is. All the combined faculty at MIT and Harvard, they don't know. They don't, which is why to this very day they are still guessing and theorizing and postulating, philosophizing and staking claims. They just don't know. So how is it that I know? How is it that many of you in this room you absolutely know? Who do I think I am? You know who I am. I'm the Creator's friend, the one who put it all into existence. And it is when you are His friend that you don't just read, you don't just hear what He did, you know what He did. And you know it because you believe it. Several weeks ago we mentioned Abraham on a Wednesday night. The Bible said in Genesis 18-17 that God said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? And the answer was no. I'm not going to hide it from Abraham. You know why? Because Abraham was called the friend of God. The friend of God. And yes, Abraham believed God. Now folks, you can take for granted and you can miss the glory and the grandeur and the marvel of knowing the truth about what God has done if you want to. But that is not what God wants. God wants you to know the truth about all of the past and as his friend, he wants you to know what it means to know what God was doing The Lord Jesus has brought you into the divine conversation. So all these hand-rigging people over how we got here and why us and what's our purpose and what's it mean. Folks, that's not the status of Jesus' friends. Servants don't know what the Lord is doing. But the friends, they know all the things. Right after I graduated from high school, the hottest thing in entertainment was a TV series called Roots on PBS. And it was a phenomenon. With Kunta Kinte and Kizzy and Fiddler and all the rest. And for a long time, it was all the rage. It was all about the beginnings, if you will, of, of African Americans in this country, as told in the book by Alex Haley. And it hit a note. It hit a note in the hearts of millions and millions of Americans, as did the PBS series more recently called Finding Your Roots. That's where Henry Louis Gates you know, he uses DNA and he traces bloodlines mostly of celebrities and they find out things that they didn't know. It turns out there's a lot of knots in the family tree, amen? And Americans are enthralled. They find out there's crooks and shysters and, and traitors and slave owners Americans are fascinated, almost obsessed with this nowadays. And I can tell you one reason why. And I'm not peeking at anybody in this room who, who just got on Ancestry.com. That's fine. But people are trying to make sense of their past. Trying to connect some meaning to where they came from. And I guess that's also why I could care less or at least I would never spend $2,000 to find out. I just wouldn't. It doesn't matter to me. I don't need to know what my forefathers were doing or who they were 500 years ago. But pastor, don't you want to know a couple centuries ago what your ancestors were up to? Actually, my greatest ancestor was Adam and I already know what he was up to. He was up to no good. Right, Which is why my forefathers 500 years ago, they were also up to no good. The good news is what I know is that God was there fulfilling his will and making provision for all of us no gooders. In Matthew 19, when the Pharisees were arguing over the meaning of divorce and the law of Moses, they tried to trick the Lord Jesus. And Jesus looked at them and he said, from the beginning it was not so. I know what you're trying to do and looking at the law, but I'm telling you from the beginning, Jesus knew. He said, you can argue about the law of Moses, but I'm taking you back to the garden because I was there. I gave the first bride away. Verse 15 again, henceforth I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For All things that I have heard of my father, I have made known unto you. What do the friends of Jesus know? They know what God did. Number two, they also know what God is doing. In fact, look at verse 15 again. You see the word doeth? Doeth is present tense at that moment and that place across the page in chapter 14. Look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now follow this carefully. How is that possible? In fact, how is it possible for any human being to have peace in this world? Nobody can have peace when they're in the dark, when you don't know anything. I read a couple days ago where Secretary Blinken said the Middle East is, quote, extremely complicated. He said there are enormous challenges so complex that there are, quote, no easy answers. Now, Anthony Blinken went to Harvard, got his J.D. from Columbia, he should know it's not complicated. I mean, you would think. If you ask me how to get to Publix from here to get your pub sub after church, it's not complicated. You get on that road, you go that way, and you turn right. Take Town Road. It's easy. It's a straight line. But do you know what the geniuses at the Brookings Institution would say? How do you go to Publix and get a pub sub? Oh, it's extremely complicated. You can't go over here because there's an RV park and those big vehicles come out and somebody could get hurt. And you can't go by, you know, bush wildlife because those animals are sensitive. And they, it's, very, it's extremely complicated. You could take a helicopter, but that would take months and months and months to build. These are intricate problems. Generations of people would have to starve without their pub sub before we have any lasting s- solutions. That's what they're always saying. That it's all so complicated. You know what that is, folks? That's darkness. And people in darkness have no peace. We've been studying Wednesday nights, Isaac and Ishmael. It's not complicated. We also know the solution. Every time there's a, sol- there's a shooting, as it just was in Maine, it's the same cycle of questions. What's the cause? What is the meaning? What's the answer? Who's to blame? Why does it happen? What are the solutions? And for the next week after week, that's all you'll hear in our media from politicians and from journalists and psychiatrists and entertainers, all of them. They're trying to put some sort of Band-Aid on a cancer and all of them trying to acquire peace through another ribbon. Let's all get another ribbon with a different color. And then the next event, and the next event. That's why Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. He said, My peace I give unto you, quote, not as the world giveth. Jesus doesn't give ribbons. He gives us truth, and the truth makes us free. What do Jesus' friends know that they don't know? What is this divine revelation? I can tell you right now we know the cause, we know why there are shootings. We know why there's upheaval in the Middle East and in Europe. We know. We also know the cure. It's a cause and a cure the world never wants to talk about. The cause is sin and the cure is Christ. You are evidence of that in this room. People sitting in this room are evidence the peace that you have in your heart you did not have Sin was the cause, Christ was the cure. I noticed at the end of a football game yesterday, all the players went over to the band and arm in arm, 19, 18-year-olds, 20-year-olds, sang their alma mater. And I listened to some of the words and I thought, wow. Because I was reminded years ago in the old building on Center Street, I got a phone call. Marcela said, hey, there's someone on the Line of, I think from a radio station or something, and so I picked it up, and, and they said, sir, if you, you can win a three-night stay if you can sing your college alma mater. And I thought, oh, that's easy. Our college alma mater was written by Dr. Billings, a great, godly, humble man. If you can sing it, I'll just say it. You can, I, so I sang it. Long these honored halls of learning have been filled with joys and tears. And then it occurred to me, she's never heard an alma mater like this. It says, and the blessed sacred memories will be cherished through the years. May our lives be spent for others, going forth to seek the lost. And then it goes on to say, lifting high his royal cross. I sang it, dead silence. (laughs) I mean, I thought it was going to be like that was awful, simply awful, you know, terrible. So that was she said, that was interesting. She said, now, you know, if you can do your high school one, it's like extra credit. I thought, that's easy too. Hail to the highest, Martin County, hail to the highest star above. Hail to the one we love. Every loyal tiger praises MCH above. And I thought, no. My high school is not the highest star above. And I don't praise MCH above all others either. I'm not a loyal tiger. I guess. By the way, would a lion play golf? No, but a tiger would. Uh. (laughs) Some of you were asleep. I just wanted to wake you up. You're so carnal. That's what it took. But Anyway, back to my alma mater. May our lives be spent for others going forth to seek the lost. Lifting high his royal cross. You see, beloved, the friends of Christ, they do know that the problem is sin. They know the cause. And they do know that the solution is the Savior. Not another program. Not more money. Not more missiles. And certainly not more and more and more laws. And it becomes obvious to anyone who is honest that only the friends of Jesus totally understand this. And by the way, don't take my word for it. A few chapters before our text, Jesus said these words. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me, Jesus said, shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Wow. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, ye are the children of the light. And ye are the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness, so that the secret of the Lord truly is with them that fear him. The peace that Jesus gives isn't like the world. It's not based on ribbons. It's not based on stupidity or foolishness. It's founded upon the truth that never changes, changes. Jesus said, I call you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I've made known unto you. What a glorious thing. But that brings us to a third thing. He's told, he's told us what God has done In the past, he's telling us what God has and is doing now. But the friends of Christ also know. We know what God is going to do and is doing in the future. I want you to look at some verses with me in chapter 15. Jesus said in verse 21, All these things will they do unto you for my name's sake. Talking about the persecution they will endure. In verse 26, when the Comforter is come. When it's come, he is come. Verse 27, and ye shall bear witness because ye have been with me from the beginning. You will be witnesses even to the innermost parts, as you know. Chapter 16, verse 2, they shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. This is going to happen. Verse 4, but these things have I told you that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said unto you, said not unto you at the beginning because I was with you. Now, wait a minute. Think about this for a moment. In chapter 14 and verse 29, look at what it says. I now and now I have told you before it come to pass that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Now this carefully. We could go on and on and on through the Gospels just like this. Because you know what? This is how the Lord Jesus spoke to his friends. He always spoke to them about future things. Without equivocation, this might happen. I have a feeling this is going to happen. This, he always said, This is what's going to happen. And they weren't just predictions, they were promises and they were assurances. They were everlasting realities. And we know them. We know that what Jesus said was going to happen happened. So that everything else he said that it's going to happen is still yet to happen and is going to happen. I remember one night I was 13 years of age. I was a bus kid at our church in North Carolina. And sometimes at night, the pastor would give me a ride home because I would stay. I would just stay until the lights were off. And he'd come out of his office and I'd be sitting out there. (laughs) I guess you need a ride home. I do. And so I just hung around. I remember one night the pastor called an emergency deacons meeting. And after everyone left, of course, they met in his office there, and I did my usual hanging around, talking to people, and everybody was gone. I was the last one there, and I did my usual sit outside of his office. And I was waiting for my ride home, but I could hear everything they were saying. The door was sort of cracked. And it was a secret meeting between the pastor and the deacons, and this is the pastor who started that church, Bible Baptist Church in Fayetteville. And so he was going to take another church in Troy, Michigan. And they didn't know that nobody knew this until that moment. And he told them he was going to resign. And I knew this. I mean, even as a teenager, I knew this was going to devastate this church, devastate these people, the only pastor they'd known. And only three deacons knew this and one bus kid. (laughs) After the meeting, I got in the pastor's car and he put in his usual eight-track the Florida boys, on the Sunday bag, and listen to that on the way home. And he was very quiet. Usually he would talk to me. But he was very quiet, looking straight ahead, holding in his heart what he thought was a secret. And somewhere in the midst of that awkward silence, Jimmy Blaylock said, so you're leaving? <laughs> er, pulled over. And unlike everyone else at Bible Baptist Church, I knew their future. I knew the future of that church. Now I was pretty sad in my own self for obvious reasons. But the foreknowledge was strangely comforting. Not to mention cool. I was sworn to secrecy. Jimmy Blaylock, if you tell anybody. But you know, knowing that future knowing what he was going to announce in two weeks, that is nothing compared to the revelation that our Lord Jesus Christ has given and prophesied to his friends on what the future holds for all of us. We know. In fact, things that are happening now, we knew what happened 50 years ago if you're that old. None of it takes us by surprise. We know, including the fact that his friends know what it means. We know what it means to be saved from wrath. We know what it means to be saved. I've told this story before. Yankee from New York York City was driving south. He was going down to the south on some business deal, and he got lost in the hills of North Carolina and Georgia. He got off on some dusty country road. And finally, he noticed a man in overalls working on his tractor in a field. And he pulled his Maserati over and he yelled out and rolled the window down and he yelled to him, Hey, hey, help me out. I'm seen to be lost. Do you know how to get back to I 75? And the farmer looked around and said, No, sir. I don't know. He said, Well, city slicker said, Well, then can you just tell me then how to get back on State Road 26? The farmer looked and thought for a minute and said, I-, I don't know. What about. State Route 20. Just tell me how to get there. He said, I don't know. And so the man, obviously, he got angry at that point. He says, what do you know? And the farmer said, I know I ain't lost. (laughs) Pastor, do you really know all things? Well, I know I ain't lost. I know that. And I know that Jesus had made known to me all things about what he has done, what he is doing, and what he's going to do. So that we know where we've been. We know where we are. And if you're a friend of Christ, you know where you're going. If you're wondering this morning what that means as Jesus' friend, what it means is this. What it means is what he just said. Let not your heart be troubled. It means stop whining. Honestly. Stop worrying. Stop doubting. Stop compromising. Stop coasting and start trusting. Start living a life of faith. A life of faith and hope and joy in the light, in the light of Jesus Christ. And by no means, fail to tell other people about this glory you know this book here is how Jesus has made known to us all things the father said to the son Pastor, I don't know what you mean about uh, the Middle East and already knowing and Abraham and Isaac and, and Ishmael I don't know what you mean well Wednesday nights we open up this book and the light enlightens us you can do it on Monday morning and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday God has shown us all things about what he's going to do. Well, pastor, then then do you know the date and the time when Jesus returns? No, not exactly. And that's because we're on the welcoming committee, not the planning committee. And I'm ready to welcome him. Tell you what I know. I know he's coming. I also know why he's coming. And I know who he's coming for. Beloved, You're a child of the living God. You're a servant of the Most High. But you're also a friend of the Lord Jesus. He's made known unto us all the things we need to know to be strong and of a good courage, to let not our hearts be troubled, to walk out those doors with a boldness and a faith and a strength and assurance that no headline in any newspaper could ever shake. And if you're here today and say, Pastor, that's foreign to me. I don't... I don't understand that at all, then you need to come to Christ today and be saved. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for just a moment. I wonder who might say, Pastor like I'm here today, and I I am a Christian. I'm I'm a child of God. But I needed this reminder as a Christian, as a believer, that I'm called to be a servant. He's my master. He's my Lord. But I'm also called his friend. And his word is in my hand. His word is within reach. And I'm supposed to be of good comfort, faith, courage, understanding, light. There should be a difference between you and your neighbor, the people you work with, a huge, an eternal difference, an unexplainable difference. Pastor, I'm saved today, but I needed this message as a Christian. Who would say that with heads bowed? Would you lift your hands where you are, and God bless you, and I raise mine, and amen. Praise the Lord. If you're here today and you don't know, you don't know what God has done and what God is doing and what God is going to do, the Bible explains that. The Bible says that those who are without Christ are spiritually discerned. They cannot know spiritual things. You could read the Bible from cover to cover a thousand times, but if you're not born again, if you're not saved, you won't truly understand it. But you can You can be regenerated, you can be saved, you can be born again, transformed. Pastor, that's me, I don't know that I'm saved. Would you pray for me that I could know? I won't come and embarrass you, I don't do that. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. To speak to the heart. You say, Pastor, that's me, I'm not sure I'm saved. Would you raise your hand high enough where we can see you, young man, amen. I see that hand. Anyone else? Pray for me. And our people right now, I know this, many of our people are praying for you right now. That God will make clear to you the gospel, and salvation. We're going to pray here in a moment, as always, and have a time of invitation. And I would say, if in any way God has spoken to your heart through the Holy Spirit, this altar is a wonderful place. You can come to the front, turn around, kneel at their front pew or kneel at the front, and do business with the Lord just between you and, you and the Lord. If you'd like someone to speak with you and show you from the Bible more about what it means to be saved, maybe rededicated, Brother Andy's here at the front. You can speak with him as well. But I'll say it again, every believer ought to walk out these doors always and every time with courage and faith and boldness and strength and and mostly trusting that you know what you need to know as long as you're in his word and hearing his word and obeying his word. Father, bless the invitation. We commit it into your hands. We thank you for this amazing, amazing revelation. To the servants of Christ. That as friends. He's made known to us. What mere servants don't know. As friends we know your will. And I know father that knowing your will. Brings a great responsibility. To obeying your will. Living in your will. And I pray that kind of victory. That overcoming will be true of all of us here. And this church bless the invitation. Please in Jesus name. Amen.